0: Smith and this is more than one lesson very exciting uh I am back from the International Christian Film Festival in Orlando Florida and uh on a on a really tough political day today uh, i'm i'm in a good i'm nonetheless in a good mood because i'm going to be recording with my best friend in the world reed lackey reed how you doing i'm doing great tyler Thank you, you. got to let me have my optimism because it's kind of all i have and tomorrow it's going to be gone
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah
0: tough political day for me and for i would say The world. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. So because now we know what the next several months and the next four to eight years are going to look like, and I'm not happy at all. I understand. But neither am I. This is not a political podcast yet. It will be someday. (laughs) Give it because I can't help myself. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so I wanted to so Reed, thank you for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. So everybody, here's what's this is going to be a little strange. Uh, This is a a very off format episode. Um, Last year, when I went to the International Christian Film Festival, I talked about maybe uh, discussing my my experiences there, Uh, and I wound up not doing that because partially because my experiences, while exciting and fun, weren't that varied. Um, You know, I just had a table and I just talked to people, and then aside from my uh, little. Uh, going off script at the awards ceremony um, last year, not much happened. Whereas this time around, it's a little bit different. And so I wanted to actually spend an episode talking about my experiences at the International Christian Film Festival. And if you are a new listener, if you are somebody, one of the many people that I met at the festival, welcome to More Than One Lesson. Uh, feel free to look around the website and you can email me, tyler at morethanonelesson.com, if you have any questions. So, here we go. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to throw to Reed from time to time. Reed, you're welcome to ask any questions as you think of them. Okay. And uh, I say that now, but if you ask too many questions, I will get annoyed. I understand. And I will lose yeah. my train of thought, and that will be uh, unforgivable. So <laughs> There's always that subtext. No I'm, question. I'm, I'm on like, it. <laughs> you know, there will be an abrupt cutout, and then halfway through, it's like, hey, wait, where'd Reed go? Why is Josh here now? Um, so, Okay. So I went to, I I drove, I didn't drive at all, I flew to Orlando very late on Monday night because uh, my flight was cheaper if I did that. Mm -hmm. So I took the red eye and uh, got to my hotel Tuesday at 3 p.m. And I left Monday at midnight. Wow. So uh, that was the thing is I couldn't go to my hotel because they didn't have my room ready for me. So I had to just sort of putter around and kill time. Wow. uh, In Orlando for a while. Thankfully, I had uh, some friends that lived down there. And Mm. uh, so I got to visit various people. Oh, that's nice. People from various times in my life. That's the other thing. Like I talked to an old friend from high school. I talked to some friends from college, and then uh, I got to talk with uh, one of the writers of Battleship Pretension, so people in in different phases of my life. But anyway, that's that's not the point. I didn't really do anything Tuesday or Wednesday. I did see, because it was re-released in theaters and I'd never seen it before, uh, Wednesday night I saw Purple Rain. Oh, which I still haven't seen. Of course. And I enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it makes me wish that I knew more about Prince's music. I sadly do not, aside of course from the Batman soundtrack. Which is uh, great. Which is great. Yeah. And that's kind of that was kind of enough for me for uh, 30 years. But anyway, so we will jump into Thursday. Because Thursday was the first day of the film festival. Uh, it officially started at six. Hmm. But because I had a vendor table, I knew that I would need to set mine up early. I would need to get there early and set it up. So I drove in. Uh, it was a different venue uh, than last year. This was a, a nicer hotel that was actually on the Disney property and actually had, you know, the Disney buses. It's not an official Disney hotel, but it was on the property and Disney buses would drive by. So, uh, definitely much nicer. It had like a concierge, like the staff were all really nice to me. Um, because I wore my, uh My International Christian Film Festival VIP badge, which you can see here on the table, Uh, I and they seem to take that seriously. All right, which is weird to me because, or maybe they just treat everybody like that. Maybe that's how it is in those nice hotels. I don't know, but uh, but it was a nicer venue, a larger venue, which is actually very good because uh, there were many more people this Hmm. time, which is great. I I got to talk a lot and. Uh, so the festival has been going on for, I believe four years and it is getting bigger and bigger every time. I'm really interested to see, uh, how it will look in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I do want to try and go next year, Mm -hmm. but because I will be in school, it remains to be seen if I'll be able to, I Mm -hmm. really do want to try though. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. I got my booth all set up. It's Thursday night. Got my booth all set up. Uh, some other people that were there last year setting their booths up. We all remembered each other. It was great. Oh, that's, you nice. know, um, it's nice to see familiar faces and people that were just very, uh, very nice and very encouraging. Um, a number of people did remember me from the year before they didn't necessarily remember my name, but they did say, Hey, you're that guy <laughs> that talked at the award ceremony. Oh. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's, that's me. Um, so not much to talk about on Thursday because it was, you know, it was, Basically, not even a half day, like a quarter of a day, mm. but a couple things that I took note, uh, took note of. So there was one, there was a screening of a movie called Priceless. that was the big screening of the night they i think that might have been the only screening of the night they might have had some short films here and there but Mm. as far as features that was the big one it was you know kicked off the festival um i was not able to go because i had to man my table because i had printed off flyers for my lecture the the morning uh after okay and so it's like well as people are coming and going because not everyone goes to that screening as people are coming and going, I wanna be able to say, hey, here, you should come to this thing. Sure. Because it was 10 a.m. on Friday, I really did not have any expectation of anybody showing up, so I had to push it as hard as I can, which meant not going too priceless. And apparently that was a big mistake because I had at least a dozen people over the course of the festival saying, did you see Priceless? Wow. Okay. And I was like, I, I didn't, but I, I did talk to the producer of it. I talked to the, the, the cinematographer mm-hmm. uh, at my table, and uh, we talked about the idea of them sending us a, a screener. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I I might get to see it at some point. But one thing about this film Priceless, and this is something that, that – uh, I laugh out. I laugh out now, but uh, but I feel bad about it. Um, So, priceless is about. um, It's it's a narrative film, but it centers around like human trafficking. Oh wow! Okay. Apparently, it was one of six movies at the festival, short or feature, to. Prominently feature human trafficking. Wow, really? It is. I, apparently it is the issue of the moment. Oh, wow! I had no idea. Um, I do find myself wondering, and and I'll throw to you. This is this is complete. Conjecture. This is complete speculation on my part or yours. Do you have any? Have and I didn't see any of these movies, so I don't know what the tone is. I have to assume somber. Uh, I'm not going to assume madcap. Um, (laughs) They're not pulling a Life is Beautiful uh, with human trafficking. I don't think so. Um, But uh, so, can you think just off the top of your head? Can you think why
1: human trafficking is the issue of the moment? in any sort of substantive way, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I know that there are few, I really hope that I don't come off cynical here, but this is, it's off the cuff and this is the first thing that I thought of. That's fine. Um, There are tragically precious few social justice issues Mm -hmm. about which Christians and Christian thinkers will agree with, the world at large, yeah, um, and human trafficking is one of them. Any anybody in any political spectrum, anybody in any outspoken moral spectrum, anybody is going to admit that human trafficking is a, a, a grossly unjust, vile thing yeah. that happens. That people are treated um, like like ju- they literally are just using yeah flesh and blood human beings and. Um, so I think that it is a matter at which um, artists who are passionate about social justice issues can do so without really facing too much controversy. People right. are going to, and this is not to diminish the need to be brave in such artistic expressions. Sure. I don't. Want, I haven't seen any of what what I'm sure they produced, but um, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking, okay, human trafficking is an issue that people can get on board with and they don't have to skirt the controversy or the polarization of certain other social justice issues no. that might enter the realm of, of what do Christians feel about this thing. So if they're going to enter a realm uh, where they want to make a statement, uh, I, I, I'm reluctant to use the word safe. I think politically it's a bit of a safe issue where y- you can make a very overtly – Indicting statement against it, yeah, and and people are going to agree with you.
0: Yeah, I think I probably came to the same conclusion. Even so, in, in so far as using the word safe, um, and I don't want to st- I don't want to kick off this discussion with cynicism because from what I heard, again, this priceless movie at the very least was very good. Mm-hmm. There was a Q and A afterwards, and apparently the director, um, because uh, some uh, among the people that I got to know at the festival, there was a guy who went to the screening, went to the uh, The Q and A afterwards, and was fairly well versed Hmm. in the 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 epidemic of human trafficking. And one of the things he says is, it's not quite as, of course, it's a terrible thing, but it's not nearly as epidemic as we would believe. Hmm. Which, incidentally, the director himself said. That's Um, fascinating. Which, so I I appreciate his honesty. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say that yes, I think there's a safety to it, and one could make the argument that. In the same way that the Oscars will give a certain degree of priority to a World War II, specifically maybe Holocaust film. You mentioned Life is Beautiful already. Yeah, right. Um, In the same way that they will give priority to that because it's just so important with a capital I. Hmm. um, Well, period films tend to cost a lot of money. So what is the like you said, what is the one thing that everyone can get on board with? And and it takes on instant importance, instant significance, instant weight. Uh and I think human trafficking is the one, and it's one that you can set in modern day. Um and there's there's immediate drama. And whether that drama is, is expressed well or not, it's I'm not to I'm not implying that this is why people chose to make movies about this but like it's a good way to get into a festival i understand so um so it's something i found that's one thing i found very interesting and again all these movies could be great i do not have a problem with a movie with 10 movies being about human trafficking as long as every single one of them is great you know that's that's or even good like that's that's fine with me um and so i haven't seen any of them so there we go um okay so uh, I was really pushing my seminar because I did not think a lot of people were going to show up. I looked at the room in which I would be giving my seminar, mm-hmm. and uh, it was going. It it was uh, called Expressions. Um, that was the name of the room. All right. You know, it's all these. It's all these hotel. You know, meeting rooms and stuff. Just oh. kind of all-purpose rooms. <laughs> right. And um, so capacity uh, fifty-one people. And I was okay. like, Fifty-one. That's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, I mean, I, I looked at my description and I looked at the, the you know, it's ten a.m. First off, it's a little bit early. Also, I'm going to be going up against actual movies, and it is a film festival. Oh wow! Um, okay. Also, I looked at the I looked at the description that I myself wrote, and yeah, it doesn't sound that interesting. Do uh, you mind sharing, or are you want to I refrain don't, from? Sharing? I don't have it in front of me, but uh, oh, okay. the the at the very least the. Uh, the, the title of my talk was uh, Speaking the Language of Film, which sounds very vague, and I wish I had titled it something different, but- uh, Like, bam, pow, film. Yeah, sure, absolutely. <laughs> or like, uh, Jesus won't love you if you don't go to the, you know, something, some kind of, if it's possible to have like real life clickbait, that's what I, that's okay. what it should have been. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I was just thinking like, all right, there could literally be nobody The tomorrow morning, Mm. which actually kind of took some of the pressure off, uh, in regards to, uh, in regards to this. So, um, but I had worked on my, I had worked on my, um, lecture and I had actually like gone through it in my hotel room the night before. And I realized, oh shoot, like I have a full hour probably a few minutes less, mm-hmm. simply because there's gonna be somebody after me, and you wanna let her, you wanna give her enough time to set, set stuff up, up, up and all that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so let's say 45 to 50 minutes. And uh, so I went through it in my hotel room the day before, complete with clips, because I was gonna be showing clips. Oh, right. And I realized, oh wow, I'm short. I'm short on, like, not short on time, I'm running, like this, this is the 35 minutes maybe. And oh, right. and you were scheduled for an hour. Scheduled for an hour, but more practically 45 to 50 minutes. To 50 minutes, sure. I like, so I got 10 to 15 minutes to fill. I was like, I guess maybe I'll do a QA. and a But then I remembered that there was a clip that I had in my back pocket that I'm a big fan of, and I wanted to show it. But I then I, at the time, I thought, like, it's too long. I can't show it, hmm. um, and I can't comment on it. It's a six-minute clip from all the president's men that I absolutely oh. adore. okay. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to have to put that to the side because it's going to be too long now it's just like, Hey, six, I can burn six minutes Perfect. plus at least one or two minutes on either side of it. Right. Now we're talking. Uh-huh. Um, so I added that. And before you know what, I'm at a solid, you know, 43 to 45 minutes and, you know, no real time for Q and a, but I did, uh, I, I could wind up, you know, saying, Hey, come to my table if you want to, if you have any questions. Right. Right. Um, so, so Thursday night ended and I was feeling a little bit not nervous, not discouraged, but just like, all right, tomorrow's gonna to be, it's gonna be fine. This is my first talk like this, uh, where I'm. It's me by myself. I've done panels before. You were at a panel at Alpha yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, but this is gonna be me by myself. It's my first one of these. I'll, I'll just get it under my belt, get it out of the way. Say, you know, it's something I can put on a resume and then move on, even if only five to t- ten people show up. So the next day, I arrive early. And I get my booth all set up for the day. Uh, a, a, a listener volunteered to help out with the booth for the day. His name oh, is Brandon. Nice. He brought a friend of his named, I believe, Matt. I don't totally remember. I apologize. Um, and so they they volunteered to help out with the booth. And then they did want to lo- they did want to watch the talk uh, as well, which is which is perfectly fine. So sure. So, uh, so around nine forty-five because it starts at ten a.m. Probably ni- around nine forty, 940, nine forty-five. I get in. I talk to the tech guy. I give him my uh, my clips. I'm terrified about the tech part. Like anytime you've sure. got AV, especially because so much of my talk was dependent on the clips working well. Hmm. I was really, really worried. Um, so as I'm setting up, there's about 20 people in the audience. And oh, already. Like, okay. All right. 20 people. That's not the end of the world. I tweeted out a pic and said like, all right, I can live with 20 people. That's, <laughs> you know, that's 10. That's uh, that's hundred percent more than I thought. Um, so one of the people that shows up, and i knew he was going to be there but i didn't know he was going to be there that early turns out he showed up for my talk is wade williams now i don't remember if you or the listeners remember wade williams the name he, rings a bell but not he's the not been on the show or anything he's local to uh, uh, orlando I met him last year at the film festival and he's a singer and an actor. And throughout the year I have talked to him. uh, We've talked on the phone about uh, various projects and stuff that he's been working on and he wanted my advice. And, you know, it was really nice. And then his, a it, while ago, he had an aneurysm. That's the one. In okay. his brain. Yeah. Uh, that's where you have them. I shouldn't have specified that. Sorry, everybody. I sound very stupid now. Because I don't think you have an- aneurysms in
1: your foot, right? Like, I think they're only in your brain. I actually don't know, but neither of us went to medical school. I think you're fine.
0: I went to medical school for a while. Oh. Uh, for about six years, but I couldn't, then, just yeah. couldn't do that last one. Then, yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> And I specified like blood, you know, <laughs> blood issues. Like, see, I don't know, I don't know enough about the medical community to even say anything beyond blood issues, <laughs> disorders. I don't know. Um, anyway, so uh, so one thing that I did want to mention because I don't talk enough about this kind of thing on the podcast. Um, so when Wade got. You know, when he had his, had his aneurysm, he went into a coma. He was he was out mm-hmm. for a while. You know, he's married, he had five kids, and I was just like, uh, this is horrible. I feel so bad for him. And I'm so used to at this point, anytime I hear about a friend or a relative who is in the hospital with something potentially life threatening, I'm like, all right, well, that's over. And now I just feel bad for his wife and kids. And so I posted a thing on more than one lesson that said like help Wade Williams. And it was like, so people could donate money. And in my mind, as I post that, I'm just like, yeah, all right. uh, You know, you can donate money to uh, help pay for the funeral. Like it sounds terrible Mm. to have written it off, but that's the thing. That's, that's an issue with my faith that even as I pray for miracles and as I pray for healing, I tend to emotionally kind of hedge Mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, But uh, a miracle accomplished because Wade came out of his coma. The doctor said that he wouldn't really be able to t- to walk. He might not be able to talk very well. Uh, and that was at this point, probably I think about two months ago and uh, mm-hmm. he can walk fine. He can talk fine. He can work. He can, you know, he can't strain himself too much yet. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's perfectly fine. He can drive. That's you know, wonderful. He can, he can do all this stuff. So yeah, that's fantastic. So he came to the festival, and it was really marvelous. Just him, the fact of him being there, uh, is its own little testament to uh, to God's healing. And so I wanted to mention that.
1: That's no, that's beautiful. Sounds wonderful.
0: Uh, but yeah, so Wade shows up. I'm super excited to to see him. And as I'm, you know, the tech is ready, and it looks like it's going to work. And so as I'm setting up my my notes and all that, well, now the room. F- fills it fills to capacity so oh, now well, it's okay. a now it's everyone okay it's like, Oh, all right well I hope everyone likes this because the thing is it's called speaking the, the language of film and I'll I'm not going to go through the whole thing I might uh, I might record a separate uh, thing for it because I was going to try and get get it on video I was going to try and get it on audio but that was just I was unable to do it and then after the fact Jen said oh you should probably probably just should have tried to record it on your phone and I thought yeah that that would have been good I didn't think about that. And I thought of it. Um, but uh, but it was all very basic rudimentary stuff. Hmm. It was talking about... It's it's essentially a basic film aesthetics course, like an okay. introductory introduction to a film aesthetics course in which you talk about the the basic elements of film. And then from a film critic standpoint, like thinking critically about the movies you watch and then if you are a filmmaker adapting some of those ideas into the movies you make. Hmm. So I talked about cinematography and, and I showed clips from the King's speech of which the cinematography of which I tend to think is a bit on the nose. And I even said that to them. But when you look at the way that the composition of shots, and when you look at the use of negative space, again, a little bit obvious, a little bit on the nose, but it's consistent and a clear choice is being made. And you can see that the King is constantly framed in a way that makes him feel that that conveys that he's alone Hmm. and he is often small you know the king of england should be like the biggest person in the frame but he is often alone and vulnerable and small and exposed you know which is undoubtedly how he felt at least Mm -hmm. in the movie uh so then i moved on to editing and everybody said that this was the section that was the most effective because i did a comparative thing oh interesting okay I and this was a last-minute decision. Uh, special thanks to friend of the show Jason Eakin for helping me out with this. Um, so I showed a clip from God's Not Dead. Okay. I was reluctant to do this because anytime you say here's an example of what not to do, and you show a particularly popular Christian, Christian film, film, yeah. Um, You know, you run the risk of people being alienated. But I show a clip from God's Not Dead, and it's a clip that is not bad. It's a Kevin Sorbo clip. It's not written poorly. It's not shot poorly. His performance is good. So, I and it's basically his first appearance. We see him walk into the into the classroom. Okay, and then uh, and then I just and I after I showed that I said now there's nothing wrong with this clip, but there's a lot of it's shot in a way that emphasizes writing and performance. It puts all of it on the actor. There's no, the filmmaking doesn't do anything to enhance the experience. Mm-hmm. So then I showed a clip from Whiplash. Uh. Now there's only so many clips you can show from Whiplash at a Christian film festival. Uh, <laughs> but I showed uh, when J.K. Simmons first, wa- now we've seen him before, but when he first walks into the space with the band. Okay. And so it's, it's Miles Teller's first time being in that setting and it's you know whiplash won best editing for good reason I right think, right you know? yeah. and the editing there's a little bit on the nose too where the clock strikes nine o'clock on the dot and then door opens you see the his shoes walking in his hat comes off as you know it's all very precise and i talk about you know this it's like these characters are similar and we're watching a similar thing but one guy we know all about before he even opens his mouth
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know the other and and that actually takes a lot of the pressure off of the performer. Whereas with the God's not dead one, it's all on him. And the audience seemed to, you know, they kind of murmured a little bit, but like it was, it was an approving murmur, which was nice. Mm. Uh, And then I moved on to talking about sound and the importance of sound. I briefly discussed uh, the way 12 Years a Slave uses sound to make it seem almost like a horror movie instead of a Mm -hmm. straight up drama. And then I showed the opening scene from Touch of Evil, which yes, is a visual marvel, but also the way Wells uses sound is is particularly interesting. Uh, And then even though it's not necessarily an aesthetics thing, I decided I should probably talk about writing as well just because that's where these movies tend to go wrong first uh, and I showed a clip from Sideways um, okay. specifically when when Miles is talking about uh, his love of Pino and he describes it oh, in yeah particularly human ways you know Mm -hmm. um and it's very clear again i picked very on the nose things yeah um but i picked them so that i could very clearly demonstrate what i was talking about um i was able to talk about the auteur theory and that kind of thing oh that's great (laughs) lots of fun Uh, and then i showed uh, a clip from all the president's men Mm -hmm. as as a way to talk about the use of sound the the way it's written there's no, it's all one shot so there's no real editing except of course the choice to not have a cut right um which is a
1: deliberate choice i'm sure you touched is. on that too yeah yeah
0: um and then so it's 6 minutes and it's just robert redford on the phone and the camera is very very slowly pushing in on him mm-hmm. um and then i talk about what that means so uh again very and people really seem to respond to it um and i'll talk about their responses in a moment but here's what i wanted to do okay in case we have anybody from that lecture listening, and maybe this is their first or second episode of more than one lesson, and they uh, and they enjoyed the lecture. Um, one thing that I enjoyed doing uh, over the course of the festival is rec- and something I enjoy doing in life is recommending movies. Oh, yeah! And so I wanted to go by these categories, okay, and come up with some some recommendations. You know, great examples of cinematography, great examples of editing, sound, and writing. Now. Uh, any new listeners, you've heard me talk about this stuff enough, but I decided I'd throw it to our friend Reed. Reed, what are some good examples, and maybe a brief a brief description, not necessarily of the film, but of the uh, visual choices of the of this film? What are some good examples of cinematography? Wow me, impress okay. me.
1: Well, here's here's the part where I have to confess to the listeners and to my good friend Tyler that I did not go to film school. So that's all right. Uh, this is you know uh, what you're talking about. Uh, I'll, I'll do my best. Well, when I when when you ask me to think of cinematography, the first name that came to mind, uh, and he's he's not a director of photography, but um, but Kubrick's films are mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick's films are what I immediately think of in any sort of cinematography conversation. Um, I feel like. Uh, specifically the one, the ones that I thought of were 2001 and the shining. Mm -hmm. Um, but really any of Stanley Kubrick's films, his, his visual style and the way that he makes everything feel simultaneously. Um, I don't know if this is even, this, this might be a bit too hyperbolic, but he makes everything for me feel very expansive and Mm -hmm. broad but at the same time, almost a little confined Yeah. Um, where, and and it's it's an odd sensibility to watch something where I feel trapped in the image, but the image looks large. Yeah. Everything like I can see the walls. I can see uh, if it's an open space, I can see, I feel like I'm looking at an entire panorama yet. I feel very like locked in and hemmed in in the moment, Um, which particularly in the shining, is very effective because that's a thriller yeah Um, and And it gives the impression of the walls closing in on you which given that the hotel itself is haunted that is an appropriate uh, feeling sure um, and I felt the same way about 2001, particularly in the sequence, uh, the bulk of that middle sequence when mm-hmm. um, he's uh, Dave and, and Hal. everything feels you know very restrained and mm-hmm. isolated. But again, it, uh, it's also simultaneously sort of expressing the expanse of space, the broadness of space, but, yeah. but the isolation there as well. Um, another one that, that came to mind for me, and uh, I can't really entirely articulate, uh, why I thought of this film for cinematography, but, but an odd choice that I thought of was The Last Picture Show by, sure. uh, by uh, Peter, Bogdanovich. Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know why. like I had only seen that film for the first time a couple of years ago. And I remember, uh, well, first of all, it shot black and white when it didn't mm. have to be, you know, it was a more modern film. Yeah. 71, uh, I believe, yeah. is when the film came so, um So there was a deliberate choice to shoot in black and white. And the film thematically is dealing with sort of like a a, a wintry season for this for this town and this this way of life. This this is this is a town that uh, for those of you who have never heard of the film or know anything about it, we don't need to go into too much depth. But it's basically sort of a snapshot of these people who live in a very small town and it is um, confined and it's kind of. On its way out culturally, one of the one of the early lines stands out to me because they talk about how um, yeah it wouldn't hurt to have a better hometown football team, and then somebody says yeah it wouldn't hurt to have a better hometown yeah, and you know that's kind of thematically what the idea is, and the film again is all shot in stark black and white yeah, um, everything looks either dead or dying. Stark is the word
0: yeah, um, you know black and white can often look really intense and you know full of contrast and as you'll find in like German expressionistic films and film noir and that kind of thing. But if you do it right, and you, often if you shoot the desert, Mm -hmm. and while Last Picture Show, I mean, it takes place in Texas, and so this is kind of a desert town, but uh, yeah, it just looks like it's a ghost town waiting to
1: happen. yeah, yeah, so Mm -hmm. it's just very stark. It just seems dead. Yeah, which is linked, of course, thematically with what's happening with the characters, no which is which is another reason why I thought of uh, of, of mentioning it there. Um, there's a couple other things I have here that I'll just hit and run with. Um, some recent ones that are that are kind of talked about for their cinematography are um, like Gravity and The mm-hmm. Revenant, of course. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of of Children of Men, mm-hmm. uh, and specifically the way that film looks. I know uh, there are many shots that. Um, where the, where the world itself uh, he, the, the camera just moves in what feels seamless. I think they hid the edits but yeah. um, but it feels seamless and and the entire world takes on this tone of, of kind of bleak and decay uh, and but it's set amidst a, a, a time where there's a new hope because there's you know this, this woman who's pregnant in a world where people haven't been able to have babies for years. Um, and the other the other big one that I thought uh, was, uh, was The Wizard of Oz um, <laughs> which uh, I know that it's a classic a lot of people have seen it and probably if you've seen it you haven't much thought about it in terms of cinematography but um, I, I think it's interesting to watch it now and see it on Blu-ray and you can see oh they're running towards what's very obviously a large painted backdrop and not, right. <laughs> and not like a, a wide open space but but I feel like it it the entire film has this visual quality to it that it is almost storybook yeah um and I thought that was worth that that was worth noting that that you're in what is clearly meant to be this sort of you know it's a it's a child's fantasy storybook, yeah, and visually it represents that um not merely the contrast from. Sepia to black and white, or, or sepia to to color, but um, but I think it, it it also visually represents like oh this looks like illustrations from a from a child's book, which yeah. uh, which I thought was good. I had a few others that I had mentioned, but those were okay. Ones.
0: Yeah, and I'll throw out a few myself because um, you mentioned you know Stanley Kubrick, and I think what I might do is mention um, a couple of filmmakers specifically, and maybe a couple of cinematographers. Roger Deakins, everything he touches is gold. Um, Never won an Oscar. Oddly enough, that's a big. Th- he's he's kind of the latest one that everyone's like, okay, seriously, it's his turn. He needs to get nominated. Um, he needs to get win. Yeah, you know, he was he was nominated twice in two thousand seven, and oh, wow. one, you know, once for. Um, Maybe one of the most, one of like for me, one of the top ten most beautiful movies I've ever seen, which is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. It was on my uh, there my, there you sh- go. my
1: short list. There you go. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, I do think that Michael Mann has a really interesting visual. The insider sense. is the on insider. My yeah, oh, yeah. I believe uh, Dante Spinotti is that him? Uh, the sure. the DP. Um, yeah, all things Michael Mann, whether it be from Thief to Man uh, to Manhunter mm-hmm. to Heat insider Ali yeah. mm-hmm. you know um, he just has a sense that I think is is amazing it's a little bit emotionally cold except the insider I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. the one that is the exception because that film is just roiling with emotion yeah. I feel like I don't know I, you can just tell it just it's shot like the use the way it uses color the way it uses close-ups like this is very much there's a character-driven film more so than his others they still are, but this one I don't know he I, I think the insider is his best movie,
1: yeah, and it's hard not to we're talking about cinematography it's hard not to watch that movie for me yeah. like it's and and what I mean by that is I don't just mean hard not to to get sucked into the story I yeah. mean it's just not hard not to look at the frame and be yeah. like, wow, this is impressive yeah it's very striking he makes some very very interesting choices um
0: and then I would say, as far as dps go um Vittorio Storero does some really interesting stuff um he shot, uh, I believe he shot Apocalypse Now. Okay, um, and which he, is another
1: one that I thought about
0: mentioning. I recently rewatched uh, Dick Tracy, which oh. was all, which was also him. So he's wow. he's particularly good with color. Like yeah, he, he can make really creative, v- really vibrant colors. But anyway, okay, so we'll move on from cinematography to editing. Okay, the movies that, in your opinion. Or 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 uh, directors whose films are known for really, and it's tough to say good editing because who knows what that even means. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. But I'll throw it to you. So, movies with quote unquote good editing.
1: Okay. So, I'll 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 make a similar statement as I did with Kubrick when I when I think of well edited films or or uh, films that are edited with calculation. He's my favorite director, but I always think of Alfred Hitchcock. Sure. Um. In terms of. There's a precision to how long the shots are and what you see and when you see it that I think if I mean, there have been countless numbers of books and college courses and 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 just everything devoted to the study of Alfred Hitchcock's films. But I'm um, about to take one. Oh, see, yes, there In you go. In June, my first my first class back to school is about Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, I'm a little jealous yeah. and almost wish I could audit it with you. Um, but the uh, the psycho scene, the shower scene specifically, mm-hmm. the way that it is what it, what always strikes me about that scene is people swear that they see they they say they see nudity they say they see or like you know they see actual graphic nudity mm-hmm. and they say that they see actual violence like yeah. the knife going in which you never do yeah. you could you could pause it and analyze every single frame you never do but he has he so oversaw the i don't know who his film editor was for that and that's embarrassing on my part but um i know that he had Hitchcock himself had a meticulous hand yeah. in every aspect of any of his films. Uh, Strangers on a Train is another one of his that, that I think is brilliantly edited North by Northwest. No. Um, really, most of his catalog you can no. look at and and think about it in terms of editing and how the film is showing you what it's showing you. And, uh, and, and that could be a good example of some of what to do.
0: Well, he's a guy who often thought in terms of storyboards. I mean, there's that mm-hmm. famous quote that like once the storyboards are done, the movie is over oh, you know, yeah. as far as mm-hmm. he's concerned, you know, then right. it's all just a formality. Mm-hmm. Now that might sound a little cold and it often is. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have somebody who thinks in terms of storyboards and with psycho, of course, working with Saul Bass, yeah. um, you know, you have, you'll have a guy who has a clear idea of what editing is and, and how to best utilize it, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason that he's you know considered the master of suspense. And then, according mm-hmm. to a, I guess not so much so recent anymore, but a few years ago, Battleship Pretension took a, a poll of its listeners and readers, mm-hmm. and uh, for the the top hundred directors of all time, and Hitchcock was number one. Oh, so, that makes me happy. Yeah. So
1: okay, I'm sorry. Uh, moving on. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, the just have a couple others that I want to mention. One uh, specifically that I'll talk about because. I'm not sure why I picked up on it, particularly with this one, but Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. Um, so Bonnie and Clyde is, uh, it, I mean, it's a film people kind of know about, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway. Um, but there's one particular moment for me that stands out um, from an editing perspective. Uh, there's a lot of, of lengthy shots in that movie, but uh, spoiler alert for Bonnie and Clyde, they, things don't go well for them yeah. <laughs> in the end of the film. And when it's coming up on the moment where they're about to, th- their demise, yeah. I, I don't well, know. I could why, say like
0: the moment of realization. Right? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Like yeah. Like literally right before. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. The, the, for some reason, when I saw it the first time, uh, it began to be clear to me that the, 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 I can't remember precisely where I saw it for the first time, but I can remember noting that the, the shots get quicker. Yeah. Every and and so it ratchets up the tension because the the shots move from being, you know, an average of 30 to 40 seconds to suddenly being like 5 to 10 seconds and now 2 to 3 seconds and yeah. and so the shots um come faster at yeah. you visually and that it creates a, a sense of uh, unease, and and so I remember noting that. I that remember that scene is interesting because I don't know if you've ever
0: been in a bad car accident. Yes. Um, well, not. I, sh- I don't. We'd have to
1: term bad, but yes, I've been right. in my fair share.
0: I was in a car accident in sixth grade in which my brother was driving and we flipped the car. Okay. Never and, that bad for me. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, we both made it out okay. We're going to do all right. Don't, you know, don't start worrying everyone. I'm going to make it out okay. <laughs> um, but uh, to this day, and even even the next day, when when describing that accident, I think in terms of flashes, I honestly think in terms of as though it were a, a, a montage, mm, you know. Interesting. That is very, that one could say is very Hitchcockian, but I think also, um the sequence of Bonnie and Clyde could apply because it's all these little, it's almost as though, like I said, it's a moment of realization. It is catching details here and there. And the details are like, Hey, something's going on, but it's also whether they realize it or not. It's like, this is the last time I'm going to see this. This Mm -hmm. is the last time I'm going to see that person, this person I love or whatever. And just goes, I don't know. It's, it feels like a momentous moment, not merely in the movie, but in, the mo- in these characters' lives, mm. which are about to be over. Yeah, um, yeah it's a really great sequence. That, Bonnie and Clyde as a movie sometimes makes me uncomfortable because of the hmm. way that it – who's uh, Arthur Penn, right? I believe that, so, yeah. Wait, who's I Arthur mean, Hiller? That's somebody else, right? Uh, Arthur Hiller, I think, is a writer. No? That sounds maybe true. Oh, I'm so embarrassing myself. Yeah, this is killing me. Anyway, uh, but it's a movie that often makes me very uncomfortable because the way that it deals with the the awkwardness of Bonnie and Clyde together, the way it deals with with sexuality in a very, sometimes a very overt way, and other times a uh, very uh, disguised way, and then just the the way the violence is handled, there's certainly, in my opinion, no sensationalism to it. Right. It's just right. these all seem like just kind of clumsy, sometimes dumb often unlikable people. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a tough movie to watch and, but it's one that needed to be made at the time that it was made where, you know, between that and the wild bunch and, and mm-hmm. I love the wild bunch. I think it's uh, wild bunch. Is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I, I love it. Ma- amazing. Bunch. But you know, it, when it comes, this, the late sixties were a big time for it to uh, demythologize, mm-hmm. uh, gangsters and, and Westerns and that sort right. of thing. And between right. those two movies, a uh, mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, you were right, by the way. It's Arthur
1: Penn. Arthur Penn directed okay. it. Yeah. All right. Um, so, okay. Uh, as far as editing, do you have anything else? Uh, I'll mention two things really quickly. The uh, um, I think if you're looking for a film that's a, a little bit more recent, but not like recent, recent, like from the '90s, uh, I would recommend two things. From an editing perspective, I think The Fugitive is a very well edited film. Yeah, um, because of what it needs to accomplish in terms of diversion and building suspense, um, it's a very well edited film. Another one specifically that I'll mention is uh, a sequence in Silence of the Lambs that um, it's the first time that I can think of, of a thriller doing something like this. But you simultaneously see. Um, Two encroaches on a house, like you see something happening inside a house where our bad guy resides and you know that somebody is at the door waiting. And then simultaneously, the FBI are successfully moving in on another home. And the way it's edited, you feel like it's all happening in the exact same space. And you don't realize, again, spoiler alert, but you don't realize until the tension resolves that actually you've been watching two completely separate yeah. scenes that have been edited together to look yeah. like one sequence. And I think that's in the fugitive that. has
0: that as well. There's a moment in the fugitive that does that. That's right.
1: Thing. I had forgotten. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's now, right. oddly enough, that is a, uh, I don't like to use the word trick, but that is an editing trick that I've never responded well to interesting um, because that's only for us. Mm-hmm. That's only to fool us. And in doing so, it doesn't necessarily put me in the mindset of the characters. Okay. That's, okay. that's, it's an editing choice that I view, that I feel is very self-conscious. Um, but I'm okay with that because they are really well put together. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, okay. So we'll move on. So what I'm saying is you made a bad choice. Yeah. Uh, right?
1: Yeah. That's, uh, I got that's, the picture. that's what yeah. I get for throwing it to the co-host. I know. Yeah. Um, you'll learn your lesson next time. There's more I'll, than uh, one. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Oh, you beat me to it. I've <laughs> been doing this far too long. Let's get Josh and you. Um, okay. So, uh, sound, Okay. what do you got for sound this sound is a t- is a tough one
1: yeah yeah because it is.
0: you know you in
1: many ways great sound design is kind of invisible mm-hmm. um, well and and that having been said the choices that I made, more specifically for sound are the obvious ones. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to throw it to, to, again, my name drop this. I feel like almost every episode. So this is your drinking game name drop of The Exorcist. I will toss The Exorcist in there because I feel like it does a lot of things. People note the visuals of that film and I think underplay some of what's happening audibly Mm -hmm. with um, just uh, the atmospheric sounds, sounds coming from Uh, other parts of the room when the tension is building and the demon is more taking hold of her. Um, I think the film does a lot of interesting things with sound. Um, But uh, also... Uh, And and this is not pandering. I really feel this way. Uh, uh, Citizen Kane is (laughs) something that I think of in terms of sound. And I think a large reason that I think of that is because um, my personal encounters with Orson Welles is almost as much through listening to old radio dramas as it is through the films that he did. Um, In fact, I can confidently say I have heard more distinct individual different radio dramas that he's been in than I have seen films of his. Well, he did a lot more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've 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 listened to so many for uh, for his. Uh, I think it was the CBS Playhouse or the Mercury Theater. Yeah, uh, and then the uh, the Lives of Harry Lime. All of these different um, series that he had in radio show and Citizen Kane feels like that. Mm-hmm audibly um like i i feel like it has the same feeling from a from an audio perspective as listening to some of those old radio shows so i wanted to mention that one obviously um you know star wars is a big one for sound um, but I think everybody talks about Star Wars yeah. um, in terms of its sound. Another one that listeners may not know about is uh, uh, kind of an understated uh, Gene Hackman drama thriller called The Conversation.
0: Absolutely. Um, when I first took my when I took my aesthetics of film class, mm-hmm. uh, my first year of film school, and we we spent a week on sound. That
1: is the film we watched. Yeah. It's very interesting. The, yeah. the the plot, without getting too much into it, basically revolves around uh, a man who obtains audio recordings and yeah. studies them and dissects them and and there's a suspense element to it because he thinks he's uncovered you know one you know nefarious plot and there are surprises, but it's, uh, and it's and it's not just about that. Uh, but the use of sound in that is spectacular. That was yeah. that was Coppola, wasn't it? Yes, that, it was. Yeah, same Rancid year Coppola. as uh, Godfather Part wow, Two. Wow, my goodness! Uh, I always forget that because it feels so unlike the rest of what I know of his filmography. Yeah. But but that's a that's a very good movie just in general. But especially if you're looking to to examine some interesting things about sound, I would recommend. I would yeah, recommend that
0: I, one. I would say. When I think of movies that have like really great sound design, I often arrive at horror, mm-hmm. um, partially because you know sound, as I say in my as I said in my lecture, sound is what is used to sell the visual to mm-hmm. you, and you wouldn't think that in a visual medium you need you need the visual to be sold, but whether the whether the visuals is pretty straightforward and almost a cinema verite kind of thing. Or something extreme like the uh, aforementioned Dick Tracy or or that, right, sort, or, right. mm-hmm. that or Star Wars. Um, the sound is, I don't know, it, it's hard to explain, but that is where we, if the example I gave is because I had my cell phone out, I set it on the podium and I said, that sound, we all know what it sounds like. So mm-hmm. if I set my phone down in a movie and, and it either makes no sound at all. Or, way too loud of a sound, hmm. it will feel wrong. It just, fe- we just know right. it's wrong. Right. Um, but, so I'm not suggesting that, <clears throat> but at the same time, I'm not suggesting that uh, sound in film all needs to mimic reality. Uh, I remember, I think this was a, uh, I think this is something that David over at Battleship Retention first called my attention to, and I and I love that he did in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, oh, uh, okay. arguably the best horror movie of all time. I think it might be mine, hmm. um, my favorite. Uh, he points out that when the chainsaw is running, you do not hear it get louder or quieter.
1: Hmm.
0: Interesting. That even the, even if Leatherface is closer to you or further away. Hmm. The, ch- the sound of the chainsaw is ever present the danger is ever present. Oh, that's fascinating. That's interesting. And and I remember me like that's brilliant. Thank you, David, mm-hmm. because because uh, that does give you you know, that's a that's a choice that Toby Hooper makes mm-hmm. so that even when, you know, cuz Leatherface is a large man mm-hmm. and you could probably outrun him. So like that knowledge, now you're in you're in unfamiliar terrain and all that. So and he's a murderous guy with a chainsaw so <laughs> you, it's not like you're ever going to forget that the danger is there but by by having first off by having a weapon that makes noise and then having that noise always be there in your mind yeah um, it's it's such a great choice for for horror but um, okay so we'll move on to the last one which is writing great movies that were have great screenplays for one reason or another yeah. I there's there's one that anytime I'm making I'm pr- I'm making a mental prediction of one of the things that you're gonna say okay. because it's one that everybody including me says uh, it is largely considered the best screenplay of all time. I'm gonna keep it in my mind. I'm gonna see if you say it. If you don't, I'll either be impressed or disappointed. I
1: don't know yet. Okay. Well, uh, you might be a little bit of both uh, because I specifically chose not to mention this one because I feel like it's always talked about with writing. Are you talking about Chinatown? I am talking about Chinatown. Okay, yes. I specifically chose not to mention Chinatown um, just because I feel like it always comes up in the conversation. And structurally, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Really? All right. Um, Well, I I do want to be a writer. (laughs) I I better know my stuff. Um, But uh, talking about some of my uh, personal favorite screenplays, um, I I do think, uh, although when I hear the stories about how it was written, uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't think that there was specifically like a lot of uh, intention or focus behind it's written. I think a lot of pages were created on the day. But I think Casablanca is a, is a phenomenal screenplay. Yeah. Um, even if it did, even if it was ultimately created by salad accidents, you know, like, yeah. um, but uh, and I, 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 it was originally a teleplay um, and then a play, but uh, 12 Angry Men. Yeah, it is a brilliantly written uh, story. The fact that it and it you know definitely feels like a play, but but wonderful script. I am a very very big fan. Uh, when I think about dramatic writing, there's two stories that come to mind: um, Kramer versus Kramer hmm. um, and Goodwill Hunting. Okay. The, the reason they both come to mind is because they are films that, in my mind, require no writing gimmicks. They're yeah. purely dramatic stories. They focus on character. They focus on they're they're very talky. Yeah. Um, Kramer versus Kramer has a couple of moments um, where you know some action beats happen, but but minimal. It's mostly just people talking in their situations. And surprisingly, both of those films I find incredibly riveting through the, mm-hmm. through the whole way. Good Will Hunting has some. Some more, you know, uh, I I won't call them lagging moments, but there's moments where the where the tension dips. Yeah. Um, But uh, those two films I think about in terms of dramatic writing. Um, And then I'll throw it to uh, to wrap up my little section with two Westerns. I love, 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 love the script for Unforgiven. Yeah. Um, I think uh, as many things as I could praise about Unforgiven, I still think my favorite thing about it is its script. Um, I feel like it has got such a focus and has uh, uh, aspects of all of the greatest Westerns while simultaneously kind of deconstructing those Westerns at the same time. Yeah. I love that script. And uh, fresh off the boat movie I can't stop talking about, uh, particularly for its script, is Bone Tomahawk. I think that... absolutely. I think it has a, just a powerful... There's so many lines from that film that I'm still walking away thinking. Obviously... When it comes to script, we're not just talking about the dialogue, yeah. uh, but also the structure of the story, yeah. the uh, the pacing of it. Um, you know, a lot of film is still regarded as a director's medium, uh, but uh, the writing, the bones, the skeletal structure of the the screenplay, um, you can you can tell when it really started with. A solid screenplay, and yeah. and then uh, you know a really talented director built on top of that. A really talented director can make a bad screenplay into a really good movie. Um, it often happens. Yes, um, but uh, but particularly. When the writing is noteworthy, um, it, it's something that uh, stands out to me. You mentioned all the President's Men earlier. I think that's another brilliant yeah. screenplay. And we also mentioned The Insider.
0: Uh, it's it's tough because when I think about great scripts, my natural tendency, have it, you know, having acted in the past, is like, okay, well, which which writers you know are best with dialogue, which, but also maybe have dialogue that is kind of snappy, mm-hmm. you know. So people will often say Aaron Sorkin David Mamet. Uh, yeah. If you're looking for Somebody who has really memorable dialogue, I would suggest Pat, uh, Patty Chayefsky. Oh, wrote yes. wrote Network yep. and mm-hmm. Marty and uh, a little scene film called The Hospital. Mm-hmm. So, which. Starring is George C. Scott. Starring George C. Scott. George C. Scott doing Patty Chayefsky dialogue. Can you imagine? <laughs> what you're imagining is probably, I'm going to say, 40% there. No. Uh, so much more yelling. Um, but uh, But yeah, so. But a movie like The Insider, where there's not, and this kind of works for, with Chinatown as well, where aside from, you know, the last line of Chinatown, which is maybe one of the most memorable lines of anything ever. Um, you won't forget it. You, you really won't. <laughs> uh, but uh, aside from that, um, you know, these are, it's, they're not remarkably quotable scripts, mm-hmm. but they feel Right. Yeah, you know the way the characters express themselves. There, are, each one is is each character is unique. Um, what they choose to say, what they don't choose to say, yeah. um, it, it's it's brilliant. There's a, Chinatown is an, is a wonderful film all around. It's one of my favorite films of all mm-hmm. time, and that script is is you know, indisputable. I mean, it's,
1: it's yeah, really yeah. amazing, but, um, there's a reason it's studied as a foundational, yeah, uh, uh, script. And I've, I, I'm not going to talk about them, but I feel I'd re- be remiss to mention writing and not mention the Coen brothers. Just sure. Basically anything the Coen brothers said, like yeah. if you want, if you want good writing, just basically look through the Coen brothers catalog and pick one that looks interesting to you. Cause it, uh, the, even their worst is still pretty good in terms yeah. of a writing perspective.
0: I will mention Fargo specifically yeah, because no. that, that script is just, again, that's one that is quotable yet feels completely mundane at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you actually do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like one of the last, uh, The se- I think the second to last scene just features a woman saying, you know, it's like any, you know, here you are and it's a beautiful day. Nothing particularly memorable about those words, but given everything we've seen up until that point and the character saying it and the character that that, person is speaking to i mean it just has so much weight yeah man here's what happens anytime we get into a recommendation session invariably i'm like i haven't seen that movie it's been too long since i've seen fargo it's been too long since i've seen the fugitive yes um i've probably seen when i think of the movies that i've seen the most Mm -hmm. number one even if i were to watch even if i were to never watch it again Jaws is still number going to be number one for as long as I live because I've seen it that many times. Yeah. Um, Alien is getting up there, and I think the Fugitive is getting up there. I love. I can the watch the Fugitive any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Let's say every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great movie. So, okay. So, listeners, hopefully, uh, that was helpful. Any new listeners or, or uh, you know, I, I, I feel like. People that have already been listening to the show for a while have probably heard us talk about these Mm -hmm. before, but, uh, you know, maybe not. And maybe you got some good recommendations out of that. So to, uh, to sum up the rest of my day on Friday. So I give the lecture, I know it goes well. I knew it went over well Mm -hmm. and I was very excited and it went over well to a, a, a packed room, which was great. And so by the end of the day, I actually lost my voice A little bit because so many people were coming up to my table afterwards and because you know it's a room full of people you it's not like I was shouting but if I was shouting that actually would have been easier because I would have been projecting and that would have put the emphasis on my diaphragm rather than my actual vocal cords Mm -hmm. but I shouting would have been ridiculous. So I just had to heighten my voice a little bit in order to be heard. And that actually does strain my vocal cords. And so, but that's okay. Cause it meant I was talking to a lot of people and it was really great. I heard, you know, uh, I heard that thing that critics like to hear. Which is one guy came up and said, "I'll never look at movies the same way again." Oh wow, it's always a good thing to hear. Well done. Um, but I was also able to talk about the Atour theory, which I briefly mentioned in my uh, in my talk. Um, one guy, because you know, as you know from Alpha Megacon, you know, I offer uh, movie trivia, yeah, and people yeah. write their answers and then they write down their email address and their favorite film. Uh, one guy wrote Batman Returns, which I had actually just rewatched. I, I love it. I love it. It's interesting that it was a favorite film. I know, but, and but, I was yeah, I love that movie. I was eager to talk to him about it, mm-hmm. and so we went off on quite a quite a long discussion. Admittedly, he'd never heard of it in these terms, but got to talk a lot about German expressionism. And I got, oh, okay. I, got I pulled out my phone and showed some early stills that clearly influenced Tim Burton, mm-hmm. and uh, he seemed really excited by that. And interesting. There's, it's just so neat to to introduce people to things and see the enthusiasm on their face mm-hmm. mirror the enthusiasm that I felt when I first saw all this stuff you know for the first time um there is this ah there is this uh, there was this, uh this girl who was probably like, I think like 14 or 15, she and her mom came up to the table and, you know, we were talking about movies. And I said, Well, what kind of movies do you like? She said, I, I think I like movies about like empowerment. And I said, You'll need to be more specific. She goes, You know, like with a strong, like a strong female, you know? Hmm. And I said, Oh, okay. And so I wound up, Recommending, I said, well, you might not be ready for these, and they're kind of gross, but the Alien series, um, uh, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, is probably one of the strongest characters you'll ever find. Yeah. She mm-hmm. also hadn't seen any of the Hunger Games, which I feel like... Uh, which surprises me. Yeah. Um, cause Katniss is a very strong female mm-hmm. character. And then from there, I actually jumped to uh, winter's bone. Uh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I think that's kind of just what Jennifer Lawrence is known for as at this point, whether it be her breakout role unquestionably. Yeah. Oh, I mean, sorry. I mean, playing empowered females. Oh sure. Yeah. Whether it be no, I would agree. Joy or silver linings playbook or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it's, she's just, she has such a strong, on-screen presence that i don't know it's uh, i i i really like her career mm-hmm. uh up to this point and probably going forward um so as i was talking with people one thing that i noted a difference between this and last time is that um and i think maybe the reason that i could tell that the that the the crowd was bigger is that there were a lot more people like me And a lot more people like you. Okay. I can't tell you how many times on Friday, how many times I heard the term kindred spirit from several different people. Okay. You know, and people's like, Oh, finally somebody like me, (laughs) you know, and, and it's tough when you're in a situation like that because you don't want to bash the other people at the festival because, right. Right. You know, we might, I might not have the same taste as they do. um, But they do love movies and they want to know more about movies. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's another big thing that people have been saying is like, they were just, they came away from my seminar feeling excited Mm. about filmmaking and and to watch movies. And it's like, that's great. I'm glad I was able to to do that. Um, But there are people that already loved film. uh, I would say the way you and I do. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so the festival is getting big enough to now draw, not merely fans of Christian film, but also, you know, Movie fans that are that make Christian film, mm-hmm. so uh, so I'm again I'm interested to see. I feel like next year I may want to try to figure out a way. Um, if I go, I want to try to figure out a way to have somebody like man the table, and I'm going to go actually go wa- uh, going to go watch some movies.
1: Oh, I gotcha. Because um, yeah.
0: I want to I want to have a better idea of how how it looks right mm-hmm. now. Sure. Um. So that night I had some dinner. I had dinner with uh, some friends from college, and then the only film I watched. The whole festival was a short film at 11.30 p.m., huh. um, and I had gotten to know the guy pretty well. He's one of these guys that I was talking about. Uh, he made a short film about uh, loggers. Okay. Like, sorry, not L-A-G-E-R, not about uh, drinks. Right, um, right, right. But about the logging industry. Hmm. And um, because he lives in Oregon, and it's so it's a thing uh. that he finds infinitely fascinating and over the course of this you know 11 minute film uh you know you come to learn just how dangerous it is and that there's like it's like 40 you know, like the logging industry loses 40 percent more people than uh you know uh law enforcement really <laughs> yeah and it's just like wow really? and then um and he might be listening to this and uh, so i will say you know hats off to him for being able to structure the film this way by the end of the film, it is revealed that when he was thirteen, his father was killed in a logging oh, accident. Oh, wow! And so it's just like, all right, that's and it's revealed in a way that is not necessarily cheesy, um, but I don't know. It's uh, because as the film goes on, you do, and again, it's not very long, but as the film goes on, you do have this question of why is he so passionate about this? Uh, oh, so- I get it, and you know, and when people are constantly, when various. TV networks are constantly making shows about dangerous jobs mm. and there hasn't been one for, for loggers yet. And I think I, I seem to recall there, there has, there are some that have to do with like lumberjacks or, mm. or, you know, ice road truckers and stuff oh, like that. Right, right, right. So it's definitely that, but, um, but I don't know, it, he clearly thought thinks that like they're not getting their due as like it, we all use wood, uh, and, People die for it. Yeah. And so that's something I find interesting. Um, so it was a pretty good movie and I was glad I saw it. And then um, and then the next day I slept in because uh, I was very tired. I bet. And the first thing I did when I got back, when I went to the festival, I set up my booth. And then uh, there was uh, a talk by
1: Alex Kendrick. Oh, okay. now, I don't know if you know who Alex Kendrick is. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I've seen me. I've seen me some flywheel. I've seen sure. me some. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> I've seen me some uh, fireproof and courageous. Did you see Facing the Giants? Oh, I saw. Facing so you've the Giants. S- have you seen War Room? Oh, yeah. I've seen, so you've seen them all. I've seen them all. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Uh, uh, scale back. I I have seen part of Fireproof. Okay. I have not seen all of Fireproof. I can lend it to you. Uh, no, my wife and I got it for uh, as a wedding present. That's.
0: Usually how it works. It's still sealed. Oh, uh, well, if you don't want to unseal it, cause it could be worth some money someday, I will lend you mine. Mine has already okay. been, my mom sent it to me,
1: but I have seen, I have seen, uh, several clips, uh, no. from the film, like extended clips, yeah. extended scenes. Um, so yeah, even though I have to put an asterisk by fireproof, I've seen all of Alex Kendrick's film. Okay. So,
0: um, so, uh, I will say this, that, uh, Alex Hendrick was one of the speakers, just like me. He's no better than me, but he did get an extra half hour than than the rest of us. <laughs> you know, which it's understandable. You know, he he is a. I mean, he made a movie la- that last year that made like seventy million dollars. Yeah, that's a yeah. big. That is mm-hmm. genuinely a big deal. He is a celebrity and deserves to be one. Mm-hmm. He's a. He makes successful Christian films and he makes them on a small budget, on like a five million dollar budget, and then he brings the, the company tens of millions of dollars like that's crazy Mm -hmm. so um so i thought i would go and hear what he had to say because i was curious i was very curious um because the the name of his lecture was something like uh, like insights from filmmaking or something Hmm. like that so uh so he goes up and one thing that josh and i have said is that he's gotten better as an actor which is true Mm -hmm. and when he goes up and talks in front of people like okay i get it like he's Either he's had to he's had to like try to sell his movies or he's gone up in front of churches and talked about his movies or maybe it's just the fact that he's had to act whatever it is, he's gotten very comfortable in a good way in front of people. Oh, you know, that's he great. can make jokes. he's very casual, very approachable, very humble. Um, I have no doubt that if you knew if I knew Alex Kendrick personally, we'd probably get along very well. Mm. Um, and he basically he just starts going through his history of making movies talking about like loving them when he was a kid um you know and then going to school and there was no film degree so he majored in communications and yeah. uh talked about how he got flywheel up and running mm-hmm. um and that he got it in one theater in his community like the church paid for some of it he got it in one theater and was really excited about that mm-hmm. but even as he watched it, and he, again the way he describes it he, i mean he seems to know certainly with those early films like he seems to know like these are not great like he had this moment of like he said that, like, as he was writing Flywheel, and he was like, "All right, I'm not going to make it cheesy. I'm not going to make it cheesy. I'm not going to make it cheesy." <laughs> and then he watched the, and then he says, and then I watched the movie, and I thought, ah, it's cheesy, you know. And so, like, good for him for being able to acknowledge these things. Right, I feel like that right. is a, a note of humility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we go along, and he talks about, you know, dealing with studios. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. Again, this is just purely. Uh, biographical on his part or autobiographical. So he's talking about like the, the objections that studios had. And, but then, you know, he talks about the moments when he kind of uh, tried to steer things and then they never, never worked. And then, Hmm. you know, the idea of God opening a door, a much better door than the one he was looking at. Um, And then he also talked about uh, he talked about hearing stuff from uh, the people that saw his films okay he talked about a guy who told him yeah i uh i was cheating on my wife Mm -hmm. and one day my mistress and i decided to go see a movie and we saw fireproof and afterwards i said i don't think i can do this anymore and and his mistress said uh said well you can't just do this to me. If you break up with me, I'm going to tell your wife. And he said, I think I should probably tell her myself actually. Mm-hmm. And so he did. And, you know, his wife was obviously furious and hit the roof sure, and heartbroken, yeah. but they were, you know, they decided to stay together and went to counseling and they they have like this really great, happy marriage. Wow. You know, and just, and, and then I think, uh, there was this other story of this couple had gotten divorced and then moved to like different states and never got remarried, but they, uh, they both saw war Room separately. Okay. And then they both had the same thought of like, okay, we need to reconnect. And so wow. they, they got remarried <laughs> and told Alex Kendrick all about it. So like, so over and over again, you hear these stories and I, and I know this, I know these stories, you know, people that saw, that saw these movies and they felt Driven to be a better Christian, or driven to be a better husband or father, or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and it just—I uh, don't know. I hear those and I feel encouraged. I hear those and I can't get mad at Alex Kendrick right. for the movies that he makes because God is clearly using using them. Yeah. Now, as I said in my video, I think God using these films is a testament more to what God God not being a, not being limited by things than it is mm-hmm. to the quality of the films. Yeah. Um, but it's tough. It's, uh, I think these movies are bad and yet God still uses them. And I, so I have a hard time criticizing. Now I feel like I'm going to have a hard time criticizing them. Hmm. Like I talk to a lot of the people that again, have a similar mindset to us. Undoubtedly, they don't care for these movies, but, but all of us kind of agree. It's just like, "Ah, it's hard to. Hard to talk about how bad they are when a clearly humble guy who is clearly trying to do things for God and is learning a little bit about filmmaking every time he makes one and God is clearly having an impact on the on people as a function of these, of these films. It's hard to be as overtly negative as we have been. And so I wanted to throw it to you mm-hmm. or at least have this discussion very briefly mm-hmm. um, and just talk about this because... Don't get me wrong, the next movie he puts out is probably going to be a big moneymaker. We're going to yes. talk about it on this mm-hmm. show. And unless he takes a, a huge left turn, my guess is it's probably going to be, they're probably going to be major script issues. Yeah. And I'm probably going to have major artistic problems with it. But I don't know, I, I don't want to rain on somebody's parade. Like, let's say somebody saw the film and felt particularly connected to God mm-hmm. as a result of it. And then they hear me talk about how, yeah, this movie's not good. And then maybe they suddenly feel kind of bad or kind of dumb for liking this movie that is that for connecting with this movie or being so affected by this film that is so according to me bad. Yeah. So I want, I don't know. What do you think about, about all this? Cause I'm, I tend not to question myself on this mm-hmm. and I am questioning myself now.
1: Because of this encounter with, with actually getting to hear him speak and, yeah. and see what, what drives him. Well, I think that he, Most of what I've heard you talk about this show, whether I've been part of the conversation or not, much much of what I've heard you talk about on this show, I would agree with, almost Mm -hmm. all of it. um, Where we would disagree would just be matters of degree, probably not matters of um, opinion itself, would just be like, I might not feel as overtly negative towards a particular aspect of, like for instance, I liked War Room more than you and Josh did. Ah. Um, it, It was not, it's not something that I would say was, you know, landed at an achievement for um, like, oh, well now this, now we finally got one that we can start praising and populating. Right. Um, but my wife and I were both surprised um, that after, you know, entering into the film that we knew, my, my parents were coming into town. <laughs> we knew that the film had been released on Blu-ray. It there was are a, a lot given. of caveats here. Yeah, yeah w- it was a given, we are going to be watching this movie. And so we entered into it uh, I know I personally, I don't want to speak specifically for my wife, but I know I personally entered into it like, well, let's just, let's just do this. Like, you know, let's yeah. just get this over with. And the, the, the script was, was about where I expected it to be, Yeah. but I liked the acting more than I thought I would, mm-hmm. um, at least for a couple of performances. Um, and just in general, and I can remember, I'm sitting there with my mom and dad and my wife and we're all sitting there watching this movie. And, you know, people are kind of cautiously wanting to know my opinion because uh, I'm a little too verbal and vocal about those kind of things. And I can remember saying, look, if you want my opinion as a film lover, I'm. it's not going to be terribly positive. No. If you want my opinion as a believer, it's amen. Sure. Like, and I know that could probably see, sound a little cheesy, but it's like, I think that there's nothing wrong with compartmentalizing how you respond to a film. Yeah. No. And I think if we're having this discussion, maybe I'm wrong, but I think if we're having this discussion, I don't have a disconnect in my heart where I'm saying, like, if I'm viewing this in this way, this is going to be my response. Right. If I'm viewing this in this other way, then there might be either a more nuanced response or maybe an entirely different one. Um I'm trying to think of an example outside of the realm of Christian film. Uh, and I will go with something that's probably going to get me kicked off the show. Watch out. Probably going to You're probably going to stop this whole deal right now. Yeah. I have a very specific reason why I watch Ernest Scared Stupid. A very, very specific reason. <laughs> and... And it is, (laughs) uh, listeners, I wish you could see the look on Tyler's face right now because I think- Boy, was I not expecting,
0: (laughs) how could I, how could I have expected that to be the title that Reed would say? You Reed? Wow me.
1: What do you got? Um, there's a very specific reason why I watched that movie and it's because I need something very brainless that's going to push the button of pure amusement. I need something that I need to just feel this way about this. I just need to feel diverted for a minute. This is dumb and it plays on every sensibility of my juvenile self that finds booger humor funny and thinks that all of this ludicrous stuff is like, yeah, I I remember when this stuff was silly and I just enjoyed laughing at the silliness. So I'll sit there and watch that and it's horror so because there's there's absolutely zero things scary about it, although there are a couple the, – the creature design is pretty creepy yeah, yeah. in it. So because there's a couple of like, oh, that, that's a, got a little bit of a creep factor, and it pushes that juvenile button, when I want that, that's my go-to. There is z- no conversation whatsoever as any sort of self-respecting film lover who has just rattled off suggestions for cinematography and sound yeah. and editing and writing – it's like, you know, it's do I what do I watch tonight? Do I watch The Conversation or Ernest Scared Stupid again? <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. Again yeah. is the key word there. Um and I think th- that's not to diminish if we're going to bring the conversation back around to Christian film, there's a perfectly legitimate viable reason why somebody would go into that film and why they would need it to not be more than it was. I can remember my internship um, at college was a dinner theater. And I can remember there was a small group of us. There were only like nine or 10 of us that were the acting troupe. And then the the husband and wife team that wrote the scripts, wrote the music, did everything. And I can remember we had conversations about how these scripts were exactly like all of the Christian film, period. Yeah. And my thesis paper that I had to write coming out of the internship, I made it about The need to know your audience, because their audience in this small playhouse in the near the coast of North Carolina in this little place called Rocky Hawk Playhouse, their audience was a lot of older people who um, had a very specific desire when they wanted to come see this biblical drama or this Christian drama. They did not want the nuance, the questions they did not want the subtlety. They didn't want all those things. If it had been presented to them, it would be like somebody presenting fine dining to them when they're just like, I just wanted a Big Mac. Like, I can't appreciate this thing, even though it's more expensive. There was more care that went into it. Anybody would objectively say, this is a higher quality of food in all senses. I wanted a Big Mac. And personally speaking, I don't think that they're that their desire as an audience is is invalid simply yeah. because they want something different from it. So if I'm talking about a Christian film, like War Room didn't inspire me the way that The Apostle does. right? It didn't. But you want to talk to my family members who, yeah, they respect The Apostle. They, they enjoy The Apostle. They love it. But they would have the exact opposite statement. They'd be like, the apostle didn't get me the way War Room did. And I think that it's just a matter of audience. And it still is astonishing to
0: me, though. Like when I hear that, like when I hear—no offense to your family—I mean, it sounds like they're kind of a bunch of dummies. But like, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm jo- I'm joking. Everybody, please know that I am joking. But um, but it astounds me that what like to me, The Apostles like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Ever, and I love it so much. Uh, and it feels so much more authentic mm-hmm. than War Room, which often the emotions feel forced. And even if the acting is better, mm-hmm. the from a writing standpoint, it just feels. like, like there are things in there that are not earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I look at that and because so much of the apostle feels so much like it just flows organically from the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I can just relate to it more, which means it will affect me more. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's astonishing to me. And I, I recognize that I probably sound patronizing. I probably sound condescending, but it astonishes me that people can watch War Room because this thing, I, you know, I watch it and I agree with these things and it does make me think I should pray more, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm being, I'm being reminded that, that, that there are things I could do better as a Christian. And it's nice to be reminded of that. It's nice to be, you know, uh, to be challenged in that way. Um, so yeah, I have that response as well. But at the same time, it's like, all right, it, I guess there is a certain degree of compart. Mentalization, where it's like all right i know i got that but does that mean the delivery device was good hmm. and what's more is wouldn't it be nice if i got that message from a better delivery device mm-hmm. you know and that to me is that even if somebody wants a big mac to me a nice gourmet hamburger mm-hmm. is not the same as like oh well here's you know uh, escargot. Escar- oh, perfect, perfect. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like here's a delicious tray of escargot. It's like all I wanted was a hamburger. Oh, okay, well here's something from uh, McDonald's. Hang on, now. Right. There right. is a mm-hmm. good version of the thing they want. Sure. Sure. You know? And That's my guess mm-hmm. is if you serve it, if you serve them the good one, mm-hmm. there are very few that would say I just wanted a Big Mac. Chances are they think they want a Big Mac. This is where I'm going to sound really condescending. They think they want a Big Mac. And they'd probably be content with a Big Mac. But if you give them something better, immediately, my guess is they'd be like, oh. Yeah. And they might mm-hmm. settle for a Big Mac in the future,
1: but they, they've they tasted something new. Yeah. And, and something I, better. That is, that, that's a really appropriate point, because I think that there, there's a certain degree of... Um, it can be really easy for people on both sides of the fence. For the people on, I'm going to go ahead and say our side of the fence, which yeah. is like, these films are objectively of poor quality, but we are very much on board with generally what they're saying. yeah. Um, but there are other people who I hear that will say like, oh man, you have to see war room. I don't endorse any other films. I endorse war room, right. you know? And I think that perhaps both perspectives might lend themselves with just a little bit of acknowledgement of the bubble in which that perspective exists. right? And I think maybe, you know, for, for those of us who would be more critical of Alex Kendrick's films, or in general of the, the Christian filmmaking sensibility. My, my problem with, with generalized Christian film is I feel like that it operates from a premise that stories have to be understood and they have to be positive. Right. Something, by the way, the Bible never mandates. Yep. It, it, Jesus himself never, I mean, he told multiple stories and explained maybe two of them. Yeah. And lots of people went away puzzled a lot of times, yeah. um, but that's, that's another conversation maybe for another time. That was a, that was a, a
0: significant portion of my lecture is that idea mm-hmm. that like, there are times when Jesus get, said a parable mm-hmm. and then didn't say what everything represented because he trusted you, mm-hmm. the reader, or in that case, the listener to compare that with his other parables, compare it with his teachings and come to the conclusion on your own. He thought that was the best possible way Mm -hmm. to make his point. Yeah. You know, he literally, he is, that is, you know, that is the son of God trusting his audience. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows more about the fallibility of his audience than him, but he still figured this is the best way to do it. Yeah. And to me, if we're following his lead then that means we don't have to spell everything out if we're
1: storytellers. Right. You know, yeah. sometimes you just let them get get there on their own. And so I think that that's the 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 key that is missing right now from the the main the majority of Christian film if if I mean look at what is happening this is this is a diversion we don't have to take but look at what happened with like Candace Cameron Burr if yeah. I'm saying her name correctly like um, like she does some things which are still so remarkably milk toast yeah. and tame by any standards, and gets lambasted for it. Yeah, and I think that that like to be to be completely honest, I think the biggest hindrance to Christian filmmakers right now is a fear of the audience. Yeah, is just in general a fear that if we don't make it this way, yeah. they're going to turn on us. And to me, to my sensibility of it, I think. You know, the, the bravery that would be required to get out there and say, I'm going to bring my maybe, – maybe Alex Kendrick is the person to do it. Maybe he's the person positioned in another four or five films to be like, you've been with me this far. Go with me down a little bit of a different road. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe he will. And maybe he'll say like, okay, now I'm going to take you to a place that's a little bit more uncomfortable maybe not as cut and dried, maybe not as sermonesque yeah. and 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 maybe that will maybe that will happen and then maybe yeah. at that point we'll start seeing uh, a heavy money-making filmmaker actually begin to be recognized with some critical praise yeah. as well outside of the realm of Christian film. Yeah, this is something
0: I was talking with Wade Williams about who's been an actor in the Christian film world for a while and he's made one or two movies that never got the the dove seal the dove seal of approval right right. and he was talking about how frustrating it can be because the word he used was gatekeepers they're the people who it could be the studio uh approving money or it could be you know hey unless you have this seal of approval you are not going to make any money. Mm-hmm. And when Corbin Burnson was on, he was kind of talking about that frustration as well. Mm-hmm. And it's something that that bothers way that it's like, this is in the same way that we tend to look at like, okay, that has an R rating. Regardless of what's in it, we all know that that is basically the mark of Cain and we're moving on. Whereas right. if it has that dub seal, it's like, well, then now we know. Mm-hmm. We know that no matter what is in it, no matter what it's about, we're good. Yeah. And- And I feel like we have to start getting away from that. Just it's, it's for lack of a better term, it's lazy. Mm That's just like, I see an R rating done. I see a dove done. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, you need to, we all need to start. And this is something I do as well with, I'd say politics. In that mm-hmm. case, if I see an R next to somebody's name, I'm more likely to listen to them than if I see a D. That is a thing. You know, it, it makes life a little bit easier to, to go along, but whoever mm-hmm. said life is supposed to be easy. Mm-hmm. Nuance and subtlety are hard. Yes. You know, yeah, and are. context is hard. You know, but we need to, we, that's what we need to embrace because in doing so, I think it makes us inherently more humble mm-hmm. and we start to see, you know, another person as a person, or we start to see a film project as what it really is, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, a film that doesn't have the dove award could be infinitely more, uh, effective than one that does, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, but I think you're, I think you're right. I think we need to, people on both sides need to acknowledge where the other person is coming from. And that will bring me into this next thing moving on. So, uh, the awards ceremony happened on Saturday night. I, unsurprisingly, was not invited to present, oh. <laughs> um, which is fine. I got a I got a one hour, I got an hour talk out of it, so we're good out of last year. Uh. But uh, so because of that, I was like, okay, I'm just frankly, I'm just going to man my table in case there are stragglers, which there were. Um, after the awards, well, who should walk by my table but old Alex Kendrick? You got to meet him? So here's what happened. Oh boy. So look, I my table was prime real estate. I was right by the men's room. Mm. So people are walking by constantly. And um so I'm packing up my table. I'm getting ready to leave for the night. And then Alex Kendrick walks walks by and he walks into the men's room. And I just think like, Okay. I mean, I started praying and I was just like, Okay, what do I what do I do here? Hmm. So I got one of my postcards. I waited. I'm not going to go into the men's room after him. That's crazy. (laughs) I'm not a psychopath. Um, And I just waited. And so as he walked by, I said, excuse me, sir. And he goes, and he seemed a little bit, I don't know why he'd be, he seemed a little bit like, not necessarily put off, but a little bit confused that I was talking to him. It's like, my guess is he's been, he'd been swamped. Maybe he was just tired. Yeah. Yeah. Um. true. And so I said, you know, it's like, my name is Tyler Smith. And I'll be honest, I'm a little bit reluctant to give this to you because the fact is I'm a film critic and I haven't always loved your films to which he replied. He goes, that's all right. Neither have I. I was like, "Ugh, this guy, it's pretty solid. And so I said, I said, but the thing is like there to me, there is no doubting your dedication to God and the effect that your films have had. So I will give this to you. You know, because in my opinion, especially in the Christian world, mm-hmm. we critics have not always been very nice to Christian film. And I would like to try to break down that barrier between film critic and director so that we can realize that we're all on the same side and we all want the same thing. Right, right. And, you know, he looked at the postcard and it happens to have a number of guests that we've had on the show. And he know he, so he knows – Corey Edwards. Okay. And he goes, Hey Corey, I know Corey. I said, Oh yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. And uh, so we talked just a little bit more cause he had, his kids were with him. So he had to, he had to sure, go, sure. know, do something else. Um, so, you know, shook hands, parted ways. And I immediately was like, this was a terrible mistake. Oh, no. Like what if he goes and actually listens to our episodes? So that night when I go home or at, more the next day, I throw on my war room episode. Cause that's the first one that's going to pop up yeah. if he looks at his stuff. And, uh, and I doubt he would, but I, and I did say like, if you have, ever happened to be in Los Angeles and you'd like to grab coffee, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do so. But anyway, so I listened to that war room episode, which is long. That's a time commitment. That war room episode. Mm-hmm. I are so, ugh, we're so verbose. Um, and, uh, and I listened to it. I'm like, okay, you know what? Every once in a while, we get a little bit dismissive. We immediately apologize for it, and we try to move to positive or constructive or whatever. So I'm like, okay, well, thank God about that. And yeah. my guess is, if he listens to that fireproof episode, he won't hear a lot of that yeah. because as I went on, it's like I need to be more respectful to these filmmakers. Yeah. Early on, you didn't get a lot of that, Understood. and so, um, so I'm still a little iffy on if that was a good call or not. He he probably never he might have thrown that postcard away <laughs> immediately. Who knows? But I do find myself fantasizing about like having having coffee with him or something like that, and just talking about his next project, and not that he would necessarily ask my advice, I'd probably offer it <laughs> uh, and just i don't know i that's the thing is to sum things up, and i will I will talk about how everything ended in a moment, but to sum things up. Um, I wrote a blog for more than one lesson at this point a few months ago about uh, about God's timing and God's role in my life and calling me to be a film critic at a very specific time not merely in my life but in the world of film and specifically Christian film and just fe- often feeling like well nobody likes critics so why would God ever call me to be one and and I will say that like at this at this festival you had, speakers that were filmmakers speakers that were writers speakers that were executives which to me is a a great idea because the big thing that i didn't get out of film school was how to actually sell this stuff Mm -hmm. you know and so they actually had executives there they had you know and so that's i'm very happy with that the guy who runs it marty is a is a pretty savvy guy i like him a lot and he knows what he's doing um And I myself just thought like, I don't know, going in, I just thought like, ah, people aren't going to show up to my talk. People don't care about my table. People don't care about film criticism. And this festival proved me wrong. I would say Mm -hmm. I now have come to realize, and it's weird that I've known this in kind of a superficial way for, you know, my whole life. But I look at this and I just think like, Film critics do have a part to play in the film industry, even in the Christian film industry. And so I came away from this feeling particularly encouraged. Here's the last reason why. So all my stuff is packed up. And then I was going to go go to Denny's with uh, uh, Craig, who's one of our writers for Battleship Pretension. So I went to Denny's with he and his wife And we talked for a while, and then sitting at the next table over, they didn't see me, but I saw them, was basically all the people that I like. Eight people that I had speci- that had specifically come to talk to me, and kind of the, the people that said kindred spirits. Oh wow! And so they were all, they all just kind of found each other, and huh. we're just sitting at this table over there. And so I finished up with, uh, and I felt like I should probably go uh, talk to them for a while. Sure. So I finished up with Craig and and his wife, and then I went over, and it was at like it was at this point like one a.m. Oh wow! So hmm. I went and sat down with them, and we all had just a really good conversation about the movies we like and the festival we just had and, you know, what everybody's working on next. And yeah. we all exchanged business cards and all that. And before, you know, it, it's four thirty, and it's time uh. to, and it's time to <laughs> leave. And, and I just felt so, I, I definitely felt like I was part of this community hmm. and it's a community that is, that is often derided sometimes by me I Understand that like the Christian film industry is worthless. It's useless. Um, But I would say that uh, that it is definitely something that God is using, that God is growing and that I'm in my own way. I would use the word adjacent, but that I am a part of Mm. and I am I'm actually very happy to be a part of it. Um, Even if it frustrates me, as it often does, you know, uh, I'm there for a reason. Because God opened all, opened a lot of doors uh, for me to be a part of this festival, and I'm there for a reason. And I'm and he he blessed my time there. I wish I could say that it was like it's all me. I did really great stuff. I went in not expecting anybody to show up. I went in feeling like my talk was too rudimentary and nobody would be that interested. Mm. Like I was questioning it every step of the way. And yeah. then, but which incidentally my. The thing I just said mirrors exactly what Alex Kendrick was saying about his early career, that he's uh, questioning wow. it every step of the way, but that God still, you know, used it for uh, tremendous, tremendous things. So, uh, so that is what I got. That was my experience at the film festival this year. Um, I ex- I hope I can go next year. I really do. A lot of people yeah. have been, a lot of people, you know, said, I'll see you next year. I've been getting e- emails and texts from people and stuff. And that's wonderful. And, uh, so that's, that's the situation and, uh, Reed, you should go next year. Yes. I know you have a job, (laughs) but you should call in sick and we'll all go down and, uh, I'll go down to Orlando. Yeah. We'll set these people straight.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's um, not the
0: note I want to end on, (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: but yeah, so, well, uh, they, they do have Disney world down there. Boy. That you is, know, they uh, do.
0: That is maybe one of the reasons why my wife wants to go with me next year is maybe we'll go a couple of days early.
1: Yeah, there's a there's some there's some pull there no that, uh, that that definitely extends. So, uh, no, it's it sounds like it was a really a really encouraging time overall. Yeah. I'm really I'm, I'm glad you got to go there. It sounds like you represented uh, yourself and the kindred spirits like you very well. And um, And I'm sure you did. and it, it, it sounds to me, just in general, when you've spoken about this festival, it sounds exactly like what you said in this episode that that it's it's smart people and good people who who seem genuine and authentic trying to do, the best that they can yeah. with this with this general arena and that's very encouraging
0: yeah very encouraging so um so i wanted to thank everybody for uh, listeners i want to thank you for you know whatever prayers that you offered up uh the morning of my talk because i had put out a thing mm-hmm. uh, on twitter saying hey uh, this is gonna happen in about 10 minutes so be praying mm-hmm. and uh so i really do appreciate that and if you are one of uh, if you're one of the people that i met at uh at the festival uh welcome to the show welcome to the website you're welcome to comment on this post you can email me tyler at more than one lesson.com. you can follow me on twitter at more lessons you can follow reed at reed lackey at reed lackey simple enough
1: um i'm talking about you not your twitter handle oh you can follow me uh just any way you find necessary to follow me bicycle sure. you know absolutely steam locomotive yeah you're up there in uh, santa clarita so if you can am, find yeah. Reed, mm-hmm.
0: more power to you exactly so uh and then you can also like us on facebook so uh that is about it i do not know what next week is going to hold there's been a i, I changed up the schedule so that we could do this episode so uh so yeah i'll i'll keep everybody uh, updated on facebook and twitter about what we're going to do next week in the meantime thank you everybody for listening Reed, thanks for being here thanks for having me and we'll get you next time bye